Hi everyone, I'm Jonathan Capehart and welcome to Cape Up. Karen Hobart Flynn is the president of Common Cause. They're all about protecting the people's place in American democracy. But Flynn is sounding an alarm over a drive to call for a constitutional convention. Sounds reasonable until you learn who's behind it and the lasting damage it could do no matter what happens in November. That blue wave you're hoping for? That's nothing compared to this. Karen Hobart Flynn, thank you very much for being on the podcast. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, so an Article 5 convention, constitutional convention, on paper sounds like an interesting idea. It gives the people a chance to amend the Constitution, do things with it, maybe update it, bring it into the 21st century to reflect the country that we are now. And yet that's... That's not what we're talking about here, is it? No, it isn't. It's actually one of the biggest threats to our democracy that most people have never heard about. And I hadn't heard about it until you until you and I talked and was like, wait, what? The blue wave that everyone is anticipating in November could result in nothing. That's right. So one of the challenges is there are two ways that our founding fathers said you could amend the Constitution. The first way under Article 5 is for Congress to develop an amendment and send it out to states for ratification. That is the way we have moved every amendment to our Constitution since our founding. So 27 amendments, the first 10 in the Bill of Rights, those are the way we amend. That's the way we amended The other path is to call an Article 5 convention for proposing amendments to the Constitution. It has never been done for very good reasons. First, nobody knows who would have jurisdiction. The Supreme Court, Congress, the president do not seem to have any jurisdiction over it. We've never done it before. So there are a lot of rules we know nothing about. To call an Article 5 convention... 34 state legislatures must pass resolutions. They don't need the governor's signature. They just have to pass it, calling for an Article 5 convention. Once one is convened, um, and it's not even clear who convenes it or how you choose delegates, what the process is, none of that is known. So let me, st- let me stop you there. So all you need are 34, state, 34 states through the legislature passing a, a, a resolution or a law saying we want a con- an Article 5 constitutional convention. That's right. How many states have already done this? Depends on the issue. But on an Article 5 convention for a balanced budget amendment, there have been 32 states who have passed that in past history and a number of states rescinded those over the course of the 1980s. And then most recently, we have had a right-wing effort to pass this in a number of states. It's passed 32 states, and Common Cause and our allies have helped rescind those calls in four states. So we're at a 28. Many think it's a probably 28 states have passed an Article 5 call for a balanced budget amendment. Okay, so the these states want to have an, a constitutional convention to discuss a balanced budget, uh, balanced budget amendment, which a lot of economists and others say is a really bad idea. And um, I've read some of the language where it sounds like it's a very discreet 
discussion that would be had at this constitutional convention. We would only talk about a balanced budget amendment. But that's sort of um, um, that's sort of a Trojan horse, isn't it? That's right. The truth is, we don't know. Once a convention is convened, they could they could take up any topic they want to. And in fact, the one time we had a convention in 1787, the um, delegates to that conference, you know, rewrote the the Constitution. And so we don't know that you could limit. And there is nothing, there is nothing in the Article 5 itself in the Constitution. There is no jurisprudence or um, anything in statute that says it needs to be limited. And so they could take up anything they want. And in fact, many of the groups that are supporting this talk about undoing a woman's right to choose, marriage equality, eliminating the EPA. I mean, they have a long list of things that they would like to do. Reign in the power of the federal government. They want to abolish all kinds of things that most people would be concerned about, their rights and liberties that all of us take for granted. So in in, um, in reading up on this, there are a few states that have, there's this common language um, that these states have adopted. But states like Alabama, Alaska, Florida, Georgia, Indiana, Louisiana, Oklahoma, and Tennessee. So that's a lot. Here, their amendments, and here's the language, um, uh, called for amendments to, quote, impose fiscal restraints on the federal government, limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, and limit the terms of office for its officials and for members of Congress. And so the thing, I mean, that's extremely broad. That's right. The thing that jumped out at me was the limit the power and jurisdiction of the federal government. As a married gay man, that jumped out at me as that will then say um, marriage equality is done, no matter what the Supreme Court has said. That's right. And and actually, that effort is being done by the Citizens for Self-Governance, or Mark Meckler, and it's called the Convention of States um, effort. And so they have not passed it in as many states, only in 12 states. So they have further to go. But their agenda is much broader. They, when, when appearing on news shows, Mark Meckler says, we want to undo 115 years of progressive policies. So think about the progressive movement. It's, you know, what reigned in corporations with antitrust measures. We're talking about the women's um, suffrage movement. We're talking about consumer protections. We're talking about Brown v. Board of Education. We are talking about education, um, environmental rights, civil rights, voting rights, all of those kinds of things. They, he talks about that the Constitution is 2,700 pages because he talks about Supreme Court precedent, laws that have been passed that have broadened the scope of what the Constitution does, and that's what they want to get rid of. And it's very similar to what you see the right do with Supreme Court justices that want to be originalists, that go back to the first meaning of the Constitution when it was first drafted. And that's the problem here, what they want to undo. Keep, I'm sorry, I, almost, I cut you off. Go ahead. That's Keep. okay. You know, um, when they have had mock conventions, some of the things that they talk about is getting rid of income tax, real estate tax. They talk about states should not have to fund measures that the, that the, um, the federal government has espoused. So Medicaid, 
They want to do away with Medicare and Social Security, the social safety net. They also talk about a really interesting measure, which is in order to rein in the power of the federal government, states, if 30 states, just 30, pass resolutions, um, they could undo any federal law or Supreme Court ruling. So it's interesting because if you look at three quarters or two thirds of the state, you have numbers like 38 or 34. Mm -hmm. They say 30. Why? Because they controlled at the time 31 state legislatures. Wow. And so this is about going back to it's undoing our entire federal system and so much of what we believe are important rights that all of us have, freedom of speech, freedom of, of assembly. And so just getting their emails, listening to how they talk about it, it is horrifying. And many don't know anything about it. Uh, let's keep talking about the nuts and bolts of, of this convention, because the more we you get to repeat the danger that faces us, the more I, I hope it settles into people's minds that this is something that they have to pay attention to. So we've just talked about this convention gets called. It has a narrow focus, at least on paper. Um, you've got some con- some states that have passed resolutions that have a broader definition. Once you get to the convention, there are rules that apply to how a convention is called. But once the convention is called, there are no rules, right? That's right. There are no rules. There's nothing that can limit its scope. They could actually, um, they could say how they want it to be ratified. So there are two ways that they could do it. One is to send it back out to state legislatures. 38 states would have to ratify. Or they can specify that it needs to be a convention. Many states don't have anything on the books about how they call together a convention. And at a time when we have tremendously gerrymandered districts, where money can be spent in any way possible, you could have huge sums of money from the right spending money to pass these measures that come out and that have been sent out from this Article 5 convention. And it could be very frightening. Misinformation, misleading ads about what people are voting on um, that are part of these conventions. And so the challenge is, while it sounds like it would be up to we the people This gives enormous opportunity for big, powered special interests to fund this and confuse people about what they're voting on. And um, to pull back a second, so we're now we're at the convention. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if you've watched political conventions on television, you know that there are people from all of the states. They're called delegates at at a constitutional convention. Who who are the delegates and how are they chosen? Do we even know? We don't know. We don't know how they're chosen. It could be that they're selected, you know, based on every state gets, um, you know, two delegates. Uh, We have no idea. We don't know who determines it. We don't know if it's Congress. We don't know who determines it. And and that's because there's no provision for any of this in the the Constitution. That's right. Um, Who pays? Who pays for this? That that is another thing we have no idea. Um. Is the would this convention be public? I doubt it would be public, but we don't know that either. the The idea that there would be a constitutional convention putting everyone's rights and liberties That's on the exactly table, right. not being public, would be in a time when there is an hourly outrage. I think would be 
among the biggest outrages. But the I mean, I'm sad to have to agree with you that the idea that this could possibly not be public is very high. Right. Um, I, <laughs> so we don't know who the delegates could be or how they're chosen. Who pays for the convention or who would pay for the convention, whether the convention would be public. Um, we know that we don't know if there'd be rules to limit. I mean, you could have people buying delegates for all we know. There are no rules in place that would say that the Koch brothers couldn't give each delegate $100,000. They support this kind of convention. There, there would be no limits. And um, it's unclear how would we do this? It's the reason why we've never done this route, because there is so much that's unknown and it really can be dangerous. So we have people on the right and left say, this is really concerning. This could be a disaster. Some on the right fear that it could weaken people's gun rights. Those on the left worry about their First Amendment rights to speech, freedom of the press, um, the right to choose and all kinds of other uh, other things that people care about. Well, actually, you, you now you, you raise a good a good sort of counterpoint, and that is, hey, why not have a convention that would um, at least give progressives and, and you know deep pocketed liberals an opportunity to buy their own delegates and buy their own people in the convention to um, curb the Second Amendment to curb the Second Amendment. I mean, there are people out there who would say, hey, well, why shouldn't we go toe-to-toe on on the issues that we care about in the Constitution? There are some that do. There is a group on the left, Wolf Pack. Cenk Uger is supporting a call for an Article 5 convention to overturn Citizens United. The challenge is, if you look at our current system, it's really rigged in terms of in favor of one party. We have a Republican president, Republican Congress— the Supreme Court is more conservative. State legislatures are controlled more by Republicans. And so one challenge when you have that, um, do we really believe that this is going to be an even playing field? Um, there are so many ways this system could be rigged, and that's the challenge. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned that the only time that there's been a convention before was 1787. That's right. And in doing my little reading around, the the um, Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, which, like Common Cause, is very much against this, they point out that the 1787 convention ignored the ratification process under which it was established and created a new process, lowering the number of states needed to approve the new constitution and removing Congress from the approval process. The states then ignored the pre-existing ratification procedures and adopted the constitution under the new ratification procedures that the convention proposed. So that gets to the key thing, the key warning that you have is they, meaning the states could say, let's do this convention, and then all the rules, such as they are, go could go out the window right. and be rewritten um, while the convention is happening. Right. It's a really powerful tool, and there's so much unknown. And because we haven't ever had a track record of doing this other than that one time, that's why so many people want to avoid doing it. Mm-hmm. Um is the reason this is being proposed um, because conservatives have given up on the legislative process and sort of the judicial process and fighting on 
on a unfair ground to get their priorities? You know, I think they've made enormous progress with this president. So it's interesting, just in a recent talk show that Mark Meckler was on, you saw Jason Chavitz and another commentator say, we don't need to go this path because we have the president and now we have a Supreme Court with Neil Gorsuch and possibly another person on the Supreme Court doing these things. So we don't need to do it. Here's the interesting thing. And I actually recommend to you um, Democracy in Chains by Nancy McLean. She talks about um, that looking at Pinochet's Chile years ago, one of the things they did was they went after labor unions and freedom of the press and started to remove all kinds of rights. The challenge is when you have elections, that can switch over. So what they sought to do was to embed the changes they made into the Constitution. You're creating a lockbox, which makes it very hard to undo it for generations to come. So in a lot of ways, I think this is an outgrowth of a strategy to capture state legislatures, to capture Congress, to capture the presidency and the Supreme Court, to move an agenda that brings us back to, um, you know, this original vision of what the Constitution was. And if you do the Article 5 path, you get to embed it in the Constitution for generations. And that's the danger. Um, At a time when we're all talking about uh, demographic changes that are going to at least re- Republican perspective and you know Democrats slash liberal perspective will move the country in um, in a more progressive way because you right. there will be no majority group in the country. Whites will be part will be less than fifty percent. There will be no majority in the country. Will be a majority minority country and yet you could embed these these things into the constitution that sort of solidify um conservative priorities um wealthy donors priorities um um could make the voices of people of color who are rising particularly um latinos uh and african americans limit their voices even though they will be at parity if you judge by the sense by 20 what, 2044. Right. Uh, so yeah, this is a huge, this is a, a, <laughs> I don't know, I'm just, I'm at, I'm at a loss for words because I have all of my, um, all of the, the history lessons and schoolhouse rock and the way things are supposed to That's work. Right. And it's all being blowed up. Well, and it's also really under the radar. When this started to really take off is when the American Legislative Exchange Council took it up because they are a corporate front group that brings together state legislators and corporations to draft all kinds of legislation together. So it is protecting fossil fuel industry. It is anti-consumer protection, anti-environmental Uh, measures. There was the stand your ground law around guns so that you could shoot a black man um, and say you were protecting yourself. They also are anti-democracy reform, anti-transparency, anti-redistricting reform or campaign finance reform. So they work together to pass these reforms. 
they have a platform supporting both the Article 5 Convention for a Balanced Budget Amendment and the Convention of States that we talked about. So they provide model legislation. So we've seen these bills cropping up all over the place. And it has been our work with the coalition, like the Center for Budget and Policy Priorities, work to try and kill these. The challenge is that when you talk to reporters, when you talk to other groups that would be concerned about this, it sounds like fake news. It sounds like you're making it up. One is it's below the radar. People don't see it come up. When it's a resolution, it doesn't always have to go through committees. It can just crop up on the floor of the Idaho Senate and House um, and with very little to do could just move its way through. And so it's, um, it's secretive. It's hidden. And when we're all battling so much with this administration and at the state legislative level, a lot of state advocates will say, well, you can kill this later. And so it continues to move and they invest, the Koch brothers, the Mercers, others on the right invest a lot of money in moving these in state legislatures. So it's cropping up all over the place and it's, it's, hard, to, it's hard to fight back. Well, I mean, Common Cause and your coalition, you, you have fought back. We have. Um, Delaware, Maryland, Nevada, and New, New Mexico. Mexico have all pushed. What's the time frame we're talking about that these four have rescinded their so, calls for a convention? Um, we rescinded in Delaware two years ago and then last year, Maryland, New Mexico and Nevada. One challenge is right now. We don't see on the horizon where we can move rescissions. The next, the 2018 election becomes very important from that standpoint to see if there are other places where we could rescind calls. For instance, in Delaware and Maryland, their calls for an Article 5 convention were passed in 1974. Oh. So most of those people aren't even around. Um, and so we, when we talked to legislators about doing that, we were able to um, encourage them to do it. And so you got a, the calls. You, you got a, a, a receptive audience. Did they even these present day legislators, did they even know that this thing was even there? No, they didn't. They they were unaware. And there with many legislators, there's some confusion about what a balanced budget amendment at the federal level would mean. They think of it like a state balanced budget amendment. And with a state balanced budget amendment, states still have rainy day funds. They can borrow. That would not be allowed under the federal balanced budget amendment. And so we could have real economic disaster. If there was a natural disaster, if we went to war, if there was a huge recession, our hands would be tied. And we're putting in the hands, we take out of the hands of Congress the budgeting process and put judges in the position of having to rule around economic policy, which they are ill-suited to do. So it is just a crazy idea, and we had to do a lot of education to show that this is very different than the kind of balanced budget amendments you have at the state level. Um, you mentioned that 2018 will be, will be very important. How important, well, one, from this perspective, why is 2018 important? And then talk about why 2020 is particularly important when it comes to this. So, um, you know, one is that the landscape to move an Article 5 convention on a balanced budget amendment has many red states. So there are many targets where they can work to move these measures. And they're fairly easy to move. To rescind a measure 
um, we have a more challenging landscape to try and move it. So if there is some democratic control of state legislatures in places like Colorado, New Hampshire and others, there may be more opportunities to rescind calls. They, you know, the groups on the right accuse Common Cause and the Center for Budget of having a billion dollar campaign, which we have. Is that true? There, you no, had a billion dollar I, campaign? I wish, and also it started with a million, now a billion, and that we've hired armies of lobbyists in states. The truth is these are activists, 1.2 million activists, and our state staff working to kill these. There is no magic, and I wish there was a flood of money to battle this. Um, <laughs> a billion dollar, <laughs> a billion dollar we're, campaign. We're more powerful than I thought. <laughs> At least in their imaginations. So then in 2020, it's not only a, a presidential election year, but it's also a census year with redistricting. Does that play into any of the calculations, Absolutely. any of your calculations? Absolutely, because... This is a time when groups on the left and right want to focus on capturing state legislatures so that they can write, write the districts, draw the districts in ways that benefit them. So we've seen some hugely gerrymandered districts that came about in 2010 when Republicans won so many state legislatures. North Carolina, Pennsylvania, many other states. And actually, we've been involved in litigation in many of those states. So you saw the Pennsylvania Supreme Court strike down districts drawn in Pennsylvania. There is litigation that is ongoing. North Carolina has been through so much litigation for racial gerrymanders, where they try and disenfranchise blacks in North Carolina. And once those were struck down and they had to draw new district lines, they went out in public and said, we're drawing these for political reasons. But interestingly enough, you know, you should have a split with 13 districts, six six and seven Republicans and Democrats. It's 10 Republican districts and three Democratic districts. And when asked um, in court why it was a 10-3 split by the legislator that helped draw these district lines, he said, we tried and we tried and we couldn't come up with 11 to 2 split. <laughs> so, <laughs> so at least he was honest in putting it out there. Um, so the challenge is they can rig the districts in ways so, and if they are able to do that, they could move this through and we could get very quickly to 34, 34 states calling for an Article 5 convention. In that story you just told, I, I burst out laughing because it was just sort of bald. Brazen. Yeah, yeah brazen, the level of, uh, I can't even call it cheating because they're using the rules to ben- make the system benefit them. Are you surprised, shocked by how brazen people have become uh, since since the 2016 election or actually during the during the election, because there were people, I think, also in Pennsylvania um, where the guy just talked about, hey, because of, you know, voter suppression, Trump will do great in this state. Right. People have been brazen and I think they are emboldened by the president who puts out and says anything he wants to, whether it's racist or not. And people think, well, if he can do it, I'm going to do it. And as if it's legitimate, it's unbelievable that that they get away with it. And there is a complicit Congress, Republicans in Congress, who do not call out the president for that kind of behavior. And so you see lots of other people talking like that. 
And it is, you know, in a lot of ways, it's like, hey, we're we're about a power grab. Who cares about the people? And um, but when you see the day to day impact on people, it is it, it enrages people. And so we have seen more activists come out and say we're going to fight back. So when I was in North Carolina, I was at North Carolina A&T, and it is the largest HBCU in the state of North Carolina. And they have they have split that that um, campus in two. One side is one congressional district and the other side is another because that would have been a powerful voting block. And so they split that district and then they move early voting sites away from campus. And so the students there came together and marched together to those early polling sites because they weren't going to let their votes be stolen. And that's the kind of fight we have, both on redistricting reform, on litigation, and, and frankly, people fighting back on this Article 5 convention. Um, when you travel around the country, and it's not like you don't have enough to do, <laughs> but when you, when you bring up Article 5, how, how many people know what you're talking about? And then how many people are, have their minds blown by what you've told them? So almost no one knows what we're talking about when I raise this. And I talk about this a lot um, and it scares people, but it also galvanizes them into action. So I was in Arizona and talked about this. And in Arizona, the uh, movement for an Article 5 convention was blocked by the Senate President Andy Biggs, who is now in Congress. But he blocked it for many years. As soon as he moved um, to Congress... They rushed it through. And so activists there are trying to rescind those calls in Arizona. And it's been amazing to see that they're trying to work on that. It scares the daylights out of people. And I will confess that um, I, am, I am glad that people start to pay attention to the danger of this. It, sound, it sounds like it's not real. In fact, when we sent out an action alert, my brother called me and said, is this fake news? And I was like, oh, my God, it's not fake news. We don't put out fake news. But it sounds so outrageous and so dangerous, and it's under the radar. And, and that's some of the challenges we've had with the media, too. We'll talk to reporters. They understand the danger, but their editors don't think it's real. And so we have challenges getting this out to people. You would think that after the Trump campaign, when— a lot of folks in my industry um, were like, ah, there's no way this guy can win. Ah. <laughs> I mean, he's great to watch. And, you know, ooh, what's he going to say next? He'll never be president. Well, the guy's president. And so to, to my mind, um, anything is possible. Right. Uh, and so, you know, that's one of the reasons why I wanted you to come here and talk about this, because, you know, my mind was completely blown because when you talk to when you, if you watch cable news, you talk to progressives, you see my Twitter feed is all about blue wave and the blue wave icon. And everyone uh, seems to think that come November, if Democrats take back the House, all problems are solved. You know, right. we've We're good got a to check go. on the check on the president, maybe. And and all is good. And this Article 5 convention Basically, and the warning that you have is blue wave or no blue wave, this could swamp everything. That's right. And every presidential candidate that was a Republican, except for Trump, endorsed an Article 5 convention. I just don't think Trump registered. In a lot of ways, I think he would love this. And in fact, 
if he were to leave office, either in a wave election or for some other reason, resign or whatever else, I actually could see him embracing this kind of thing. Because the narrative is Washington is broken. Now, some could make the case that he's the one that's broken it. But if you make that case and that we need to rely on states and to distance ourselves from the federal government, the power of the federal government, it fits exactly into his narrative. Given the the work that Common Cause does and the work that you do, how do you not get discouraged? Um, I mean, even under the in the Obama years, it wasn't easy. Um, but at least you had a president in office who like, you could at least have a conversation with. And today we're in a Washington where there's a president, a complicit Congress, uh, courts that seem to be just hostile to everything um, that you care about. So how do how do you get out of bed in the morning (laughs) in an environment so challenging? I have been doing this work for more than 30 years, and I know that the people can make a difference in this country through ballot initiatives, from holding their electeds accountable. And what gives me hope is the millions of people, many of whom who have never engaged in this kind of work, are coming out of the woodwork and saying, what can I do? And we encounter them all over the place. One, our membership has grown quite a bit, but also self-organized groups saying, what can I do? And they are not only coming to resist what they see in Washington, but they're coming to fight at the state and local level to pass reforms, voting reforms that, you know, automatic registration, campaign finance reforms, redistricting reforms, proactive reforms that that show us a vision of what democracy should be. And to me, that's what gives me hope. We have wins every month on these kinds of things at the state and local level. And that that is what keeps me going. Karen Hobart Flynn, president of Common Cause, thank you very much for coming on the podcast and for, for ringing the alarm on something that we all should be focused on. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And how about doing me a huge favor? Subscribe, rate, and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ. If you like Cape Up with Jonathan Capehart, you should check out some of our other great podcasts. Like Can He Do That? a podcast that explores the powers and limitations of the American presidency. Or try The Daily 202's Big Idea, a show that brings you daily analysis from political correspondent James Holman. You can find these shows anywhere you listen to podcasts and learn more online at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. The Washington 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 Post. Post.